Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. And we are back in our office. I feel like we haven't been here for a minute or so, um, or quite a while. Uh, of course, Brian's been around. I'm back from um, holiday. and uh, But we met with uh, Dana Crawford and Ryan McWilliams last week, um, and I was exhausted. I'd gotten in at like 2.30 that morning, um, but we had a great time there. Um, and we just, we wanted to visit about some more relevant uh, or timely issues that are going on. Um, of course, every week we talk about redistricting, but we're sick of talking about redistricting. So we're going to talk about a few other things um, today. I've got uh, with us um, Micah Espinoza. Micah is the new, and I'm going to get this wrong exactly, but you're the new community outreach director for PDI. Pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close. The director of community engagement. Director of Community Engagement. PDI, Pueblo Diversified Industries. Okay, so there's an event coming up, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about uh, this really great, I'm a big fan, you guys have heard me talk about David Pump before. If you'll remember, um, several months ago, we were talking with uh, Mike Riley on the show, and Mike Riley runs, uh, it's a mountain, or can, I can't remember. Yeah, Southern Colorado Youth Development, but it's gen, it really is generally based on giving these kids some life skills around dirt bikes, maintaining these machines, taking care of that stuff. And it was so great, and they sort of lost their home. Mm-hmm. And uh, David Pump and PDI stepped up and gave them a place. Um, but PDI is uh, has a long history in Pueblo. They do some really great work. So first tell us about that, and then we'll talk a little bit about this event you have coming up. Yeah. So PDI, I mean, they, they provide a number of services for diversely abled adults. And so a lot, of, a lot of the efforts lately have been around that community outreach piece, that the community integration, getting people from literally all walks of life involved in the mission of the organization. So inviting uh, Southern Colorado Youth Development in, that's been a big deal. We partner with the Lockwood Foundation. They actually um, they have a great program where they take people who are wheelchair bound on hikes yeah, you were talking about this. And this it's the coolest incredible. thing. It's, it's the Lockwood Foundation. There, You can find them anywhere on social media. But yeah, they, they actually have taken people up Mount Elbert. Like yeah. the, the tallest mountain in like the continental U.S., I think, or the, the U.S. Rockies. Yeah. Um, and they're in wheelchairs. They, they won't be able to walk themselves up. So these machines, they almost look like a rickshaw type thing in the front. And like a, they have handles on the back for people to push and pull. And it's really cool. So yeah, we're. I mean, PDI is always looking for opportunities to partner with I mean, like-minded organizations like that, where we can uh, really make a difference for people, I mean, in whatever walk of life they're in. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so looking for stuff like that. One of the things we did recently, uh, about a year ago, they op- there was a an artisan-owned cooperative that was open on the PDI campus. They offer a place for artisans to come and actually create uh, their art there on-site, sell the artwork, and then... So are they clients of PDI or are they something else? No, it's 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 its own separate entity. It's a it's a okay. artisan owned cooperative. Okay. So the the artisans actually are the ones who run the business, make the profit. Uh, they just lease the space from PDI. But so, it also gives some of the people who receive PDI services 
an opportunity to participate in creating that artwork as well. So just like you're doing with Mike Riley, um, it's there on the campus, but it's integrating those other organizations with with the clients and giving them opportunities right. that way, right? Right. So PDI, I mean, our, the, the services that are offered in-house from PDI include things like um, you know education, day programs, vocational programs, uh, residential for diversely abled adults. Okay. So that's PDI's role, their goal. But really it's to also just be part of that community. I mean, give people these opportunities to be involved in other activities that's not just housed inside of PDI. Okay. So that's okay. the real role. So yeah, so with so with Project, the cooperative is called Project Inspire. Okay. And they come in, they do the artwork. Uh, like I said, a lot of them actually do it on site, but either way, any, if you're a member of the co-op, you can actually sell your artwork. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's a person there, she's actually managing the retail space. You know, we sell it, we manage the inventory, all that stuff. Oh, that's so um, cool. Well, I've been over there. We've both been over yeah, there. Yeah, we went over there. The governor came and visited. Yeah, it was yeah, really was cool. Fun. And he was super engaged with everybody. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great picture that we that I saw with him um, just talking to everybody. And we got there uh, as just as he was leaving. But uh, the folks that were over there that were working there in that space um, that have diverse abilities, they were just so excited to share what they were doing. Oh, it, yeah. What is his name? Timothy or Timmy or? No, um, we had Carlos and Ricky over there. Oh, Ricky. Yeah. Ricky. Ricky, yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. They were so great. And they yeah. were so um, just, I mean, you could tell that they were really excited. But at the same time, they do some really cool projects over there. Yeah. And that's and you really see where like kind of the marriage of the belief systems comes in. PDI wants to give, you know, the people it works with, the people we serve, an opportunity to uh, participate more in the community. Right. And so something like Project Inspire Cooperative, it gives it gives us an avenue to send people over there to learn some some new skills. And yeah, but then be part of something really cool like the governor coming in. Yeah. And touring them and getting to show off what they've learned, what they've done, what they've created. So when I was over there, it was really great because uh, I had bought some cards over there when they were first trying to get this started right before. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were some great cards that they were Colorado and, and that they had made them there. And I love that medium paper. I know that's weird, but I love to do that kind of crafting. And they had done some really great things. But even with limited abilities, they still have they, uh, when I that was one of the cool things I saw is that they had people with very limited abilities still able to work in that space. Yeah. And working working side by side with, um, you know, fully capable people and these artisans are able to pass on that knowledge, that experience to people right. who otherwise, very frankly, wouldn't have an opportunity to do it. Right. It's so cool. So tell us about the event that's coming up. So PIC is doing an event. Uh, they're actually doing, it's a Christmas in July fashion show gala. One of the artisans that's over at, uh, at the cooperative is, uh, her name's Ladoris. She runs Designs by Ladoris, uh, makes uh, handbags, makes dresses, some beautiful dresses. I saw some of those. Like she was working on a wedding dress the other yeah. day. Yeah. She, she has quite a few clients that come through there, and yeah, they they do their fittings and everything right there on site at, at uh, PIC. She has a crown royal robe that me and Brian are going to fight over. Yep. <laughs> and by the way, if my wife is listening to this, which I hope she doesn't, this doesn't exist because we're not spending money over there because <laughs> she would buy everything in there. Jillian would yeah, all love the bags, it all over the that. All of it. No. So, so this is far away. This isn't Pueblo. <laughs> but everybody else, it's here. We're going, but it's not here, Jillian. So Jillian's not invited, but everyone else everyone is invited. Everyone else is invited. On Saturday, July 17th, uh, we're going to open the doors up at 3 p.m. 
Uh, of course, we're going to have some cocktails and things like that. Sure. And then there's going to be, uh, there's some auction items that we're going to uh, give away. Well, sell, auction off. Yeah. There's going to be, uh, and there's going to be a fashion show. So Design by the Doors is going to have a full-on fashion show. And within some of the people from PDI have been invited to to model it. To model. I love um, it. Because it also, I mean, there's all kinds of products in there. There's jewelry. There's uh, folks from the State Hospital have actually made quite a few pieces of jewelry for us. Oh, wow. Um, there's a lot of, lots of paintings and things like that. And so... Along with the modeling the the dresses, they're actually going to be like carrying some of the artwork. They're going to be wearing the jewelry. All the oh, stuff that all the stuff is going to be products that are available to purchase from uh, Project Inspire. And also on that, just to be the salesman for it to get people. If you're listening to this, um, they have the cigar box guitars for sale there, which are oh awesome. yes. yes, and they're hard to come by. You'll find one every now and then in a thrift shop or an antique shop, but these are awesome. Um, they have the T-shirt printer that they're uh -huh. setting up. I don't know if it's set up yet, but that's going to be one of the services. Is that still going forward? Which is huge because it, it's not a screen printed uh, print setup, so you don't have to buy in bulk. You could buy one T-shirt, and it's going to cost the same as if you bought a hundred of them. You know, each individual price. So that's good. And um, they make their own paper. They make their own paper. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's everything. It's so cool because yeah, everything's just created right there for us. And yeah, things that you just wouldn't find. Elsewhere, they have a whole line of jewelry with uh, uh, red Beulah marble. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's all hand done. So you guys have to know in Colorado, and I think it's the only place in the world, they have red marble that comes out of by Beulah, um, Colorado, that's just about 30 minutes from where we're sitting right now. And that's the, the marble that's used at the Capitol. And so you can't find it in very many places. So if you can get your hands on some of this marble... It's really a big deal. That I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I think when I went over there and I saw it, I kept saying to myself, I had no idea. I just, I didn't know. Yeah, you have no idea. You have no idea. We, so I think with PDI and with PIC both, I hear that is the most common thing I hear from everybody is I had no idea. That yeah, all this right. was happening you over there. You have no there. idea. You have no idea. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a little bit, um, I was thinking about this uh a little bit when I was on vacation is about, uh, and especially nonprofits, but I think it was, uh, I'm going to say it was the wall street journal, but there was an article that in particular with these nonprofit organizations, everybody is on burnout. Like that's one of the mm -hmm. major concerns as they're looking at forecasting. Um, everybody's burned out, but in particular nonprofit organizations or directors and the people who still stayed in it through all of this are really suffering burnout. And they're, they're worried about the impacts on the economy that that has to go to. And you've worked a lot with nonprofits and you've done that. My background is, of course, nonprofit administration um, more than it is on the political side. Um, and so when you look at an organization um, like PDI or PIC, the Project Inspire, um, and Project Inspire just had got started right before this happened. Right. But the people that are trying to drive it are coming out of a pandemic and there's some difficulties there. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, there's a lot in it. Of course, yeah, with any nonprofit, you, I mean, you're so mission driven that you, you keep going no matter what. Right. You keep going for that mission no matter what. And yeah, so the other, and you're wearing multiple hats and you're doing multiple jobs and you're doing it in spite of everything else. So like for PDI, of course, our day programs had to be completely altered. Right. And we're just now getting back to, you know, that normalcy. Right. Just barely. And, you know, so, of course, like the, the number of people we serve shifted quite a bit and we're right. trying to build that back up. And but I mean, it's so cool to see people 
again, like Skid, like Lockwood Foundation. Um, we've had some people from like the fire department, Pueblo Fire Department came out and oh, did an yeah. event with, with our people at PDI where they did like an obstacle course. Right. And just to see the excitement of it from everybody there, everyone participating, to see the excitement was, that's how we're going to get over the burnout. Is, is just sharing, you think? It's not going to get, because things aren't going to get easier. No. Refocusing on that positive stuff that's, that's been there the whole time. Yeah. It's, it's focusing on that positive stuff that the people are trying to do. There's good people out there trying to do good things. Right. And it's so easy to get bogged down with the actual depressive state that we've all been living in for the last year. <laughs> well, and that whole, the, I mean, from the political to the economy to all of those things, you know, in the nonprofit world, you spend so much time trying to balance chasing the funding with the mission of the organization. I mean, that's the whole game is chasing the funding with the mission of the organization and how to, to re-engage in a way that's not going to be, um, you know, that's going to be safe. Mm -hmm. You want everybody to be safe. You want everybody to be healthy, uh, but we have to get back to, to business. And so it's something I've, I've honestly been thinking a lot about, and I sort of, for some reason, and this is a dumb way to think about it, but when I read that article, I thought, okay, everybody genuinely is feeling this same thing. Right. And that's, it's weird how easily we forget that uh, none of us is in this alone. Right. We've all been cooped up. We've all had plans canceled. We've all been alone with our thoughts too much. Yeah. Well, and like, and so PIC... Again, it's it's. I've had a lot of people ask me why, why they started, why they incorporated. Right. What's the point? It's purely a passion project. It's purely a passion project. It's to give people a chance to express themselves creatively. It's a chance for people to share the skills they have. It's for people to learn skills they otherwise wouldn't have. Right. In a place that's um, that really is mission driven to give as many people as possible as many opportunities and pathways as possible. Right. And so like this, I mean, we definitely don't want to call it a comeback or a, you know, whatever, but it's, it's an, it's a new opportunity. It's a fresh opportunity for people to see what's going on over there at PIC. Because yeah, like you said, they started right before COVID. There's so many, and we've heard of so many businesses that have somehow made it through, even though they started right before COVID Mm -hmm. or it was a hiccup, but we're seeing some really great ways that people are coming back. Right. Um, in in ways, and there was a couple of examples that you've been involved in in the last couple of weeks, Brian, with the um, some of the projects of they're looking at opportunities, looking at spaces, um, you know, looking to either relocate or restructure sort of what they're doing mm-hmm. um, along the same vein, right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, kind of across the board right now. Um, it killed. It didn't destroy, but it killed off the motivation for a lot of these groups, including businesses to nonprofits. And now after post-COVID, you know, they're exploring different ways. They're expanding. They're looking for spaces. It's a different way of thinking. One, is this going to happen again? You know, the fear-mongering media is like, oh, get ready for the the Delta, right. Epsilon, Omega variant coming up that's <laughs> 20 times worse and, you know, get ready for the real pandemic. So I, I think a lot of um, organizations and people and businesses are restructuring to get ready for that and prepare it because they know how it didn't work the past year versus what's going to work. And then it also, I, I think there's a little more concentration on um, the aesthetics 
when you and in logistics of an organization now, it's not just go to work, go to the office, sit in your cubicle. Now it's more, we got to make this comfortable and enjoyable. Uh, and, and that's kind of the shifting I've seen in a lot of these businesses and nonprofits. You know, it's like before you'd go to Volunteers for America and it was this tiny office, you know, Main Street type location. Now they're like, no, we could go and share a building with this group that does this. And we're kind of coming together. We're all in this together and let's make this comfortable. Hey, they don't have to go to 20 different buildings. Maybe we can all get together in one or two buildings. And, you know. That's been one of the things I think that has been interesting to watch. And, and PDI is a great example of how do we um, sort of lift together with other organizations? How can we collaborate? And everybody's looking for new ways to collaborate that they haven't before. Yeah, and it's also cost sharing in a lot of this stuff. Yes. The collaboration leads to cost sharing. Whereas, again, you don't have like an office for this one, an office for this one. Perfect example is the Pueblo, uh, one Pueblo thing that Garrison, Commissioner Ortiz is putting together right. where everything's going to be in one office. A, it saves money because now you don't have all your agencies spread out around the city in a building that you're paying rent, utilities. It's all in one. Same thing with the nonprofit. You're seeing more collaborative spaces open up. Water Tower Place is a perfect one. Down in Trinidad, the, the space down there that we looked at, it, it's... We could still keep this going. We didn't make as much money the past year. So let's share this and that will keep us afloat and alive and prosper. Yeah, pull, like pulling those resources together. Yeah. And that's interesting. It's kind of to both your points about how the nature of the competition has changed. Yes. It's it's cooperative competition. Yeah, I mean, the new. and kind of like you were saying, you know, like for the last year, we we actually brought in you know, less revenue, but we still continue to operate and still continue to achieve these goals. So I think it's shifted that perspective of what your ROI has to be on a given activity. Well, and I, I think it's a real, it's a, it's something that needed to happen for a really long time. When you talk about board members uh, of these nonprofit organizations and how they view their financials and how they, because in Colorado, the statue is two things. They're only really responsible for two things, and that's the fiscal health of the organization and the hiring and the firing of the CEO um, or the executive director, whatever you want to call it. But they've had to ex be willing to experiment, and it's not a it's not a comfortable space for most board members to say, "Okay, we're going to try this, right. or we're going to do this. We have to rethink this. We have to consider new." Uh, a new way of doing business. Um, and it has to be, if it doesn't work the first time out, it has to be okay. And I think that's one of the things that it's always needed to happen with nonprofits, but it's sort of forcing that like right. necessity is the mother. They didn't have to do it before. Now they do. Yeah. Yeah. They should have to. Well, they didn't have to. I don't know that they had to, um, they could stay really comfortable. Sure. They could stay really comfortable in that space, but when you're talking about whether or not an organization should stay, especially with these nonprofits or even these small ones, how do they how do they benefit everybody? How do they benefit um, not just either their members or their clients or their their customers, but how it's actually benefiting the entire community? So there's some really cool things on that cost sharing side that we're seeing, and it's like you said, there's a whole bunch of places we've seen this lately. Um, the other one that I'm excited to see, that I'm really hoping, and I don't know how realistic it is, but start to see how small local governments, these local governments start to follow suit 
and figure out ways that they can really work together and, and collaborate on different projects. And I know that some of those ARPA funds, that's still the big question on that side of it. What can they actually do as far as that collaboration goes? And so those are one, so th those are some of the ones I see that I'm hoping these private organizations um, can sort of set the standard for the local governments on that. Because that's going to be really important because it's them that are getting the money to, to support those businesses and those communities. Right. right. So, um, so what's next after this? What's the next uh, goal? What are you, uh, I guess, let's say it this way. For Project Inspire, mm -hmm. what are you guys trying to accomplish in the next year? Because this is your first sort of reentry event. This is our first reentry event. So, yeah, so that's July 17th, where the fashion show is going to start at four. We're going to start, uh, we're going to open the doors at three. And it's right there. It's, it's on, like I said, it's on the PDI campus, um, 28, 28 Granada. Okay. Building two. Um, and tickets are $10. Tickets are $10. $10, which is super cheap for an event. So how do we get people to go and buy a ticket? So they can go on, uh, go to projectinspire.community or, I mean, or Facebook is an easy way to, you can just look for Project Inspire Cooperative, it pops right up. And we sent this out, uh, we sent this out in our email blast last week and mm -hmm. we'll send it out again for you guys and, and we'll put and it on our social media for the tickets. and we have the link Perfect. for the tickets, but you can, I mean, there's even Venmo or something, right? Yes. Yeah. We said we have a Venmo set up for it. I mean. Yeah. They're making, PIC is making it as easy as possible to take your money. <laughs> and there's also some sponsorship opportunities still. So there's some sponsor. We're going to be a sponsor. You've got a few others. Your big yeah. sponsor is? Um, PBRs is going to be really big for us. PBRs is one of your big sponsors for the yeah. event, which is super cool. Yeah, so there, there's that. Um, there's much like Walter's Brewery is bringing out some drinks for us. Right. Coca-Cola is going to be there with us. Um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch uh, of Donald Valdez, Representative Valdez, Valdez is going to be, be there. there. So he's going to you're going to give him a fun job. Well, yeah, I'll even give him a microphone for just a minute. Okay, okay. So, but we'll maybe we'll make him uh, pour the drinks or something. We'll do make him do something. Yeah. Um, no. He's going to be out there, and then there's a lot of other people from the community that should that will be there yes. to support because these are the kinds of projects that leadership in our communities needs to show up and support, I think. Yeah. And we're, yeah, it's, we've already had quite a few people. Yeah. RSVP for this event. It's, yeah, it's a big list. So it's a big list. Um, but no, the, I mean, really the end goal, I don't know if there's an end goal, but the ongoing goal is to bring in more artisans. Okay. Um, and really bring a lot more. I think it, 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 it is similar to the mission of PDI. It's, it's to give as many people, regardless of ability, opportunities to, to flourish opportunities to uh, improve themselves and improve their communities. So the more, the more people get involved, obviously the better, just like we've been talking about. So if an artist or artisan or craftsman is interested in setting up, how do they go about doing that? So they can, so again, they can go to the project inspire.community. There's a place on that page where they can, um, you know, request more information. Okay. Uh, there's a, like an artist application on there as well. So any artisan anywhere um, can join the co-op. Correct. And that's, and I guess that's the hook, it, you know, what's the catch to that? It's you would actually uh, apply to become a member of the co-op Okay. be a, you know, and as a co-op, the members are the owners. And so they, the owners, the members who are the owners mm -hmm. um, get that space. So there, yeah. So there, there, there's a, so like Ladoris, for example, right. she actually rents a space because she's in there permanently. Okay. Most of the other artisans actually will just come and go, they'll come in and there's a sketch, they schedule time to come in and work. Um, we love when artisans can come and actually teach classes as well. We've had oh, like, yeah. uh, we've had like ceramics teachers in the past, things like that. 
uh, painting. We've done like a wine and paint night, which I think we're going to bring back. Oh, that's super which cool. Just really fun. I mean, yeah. just a super cool thing. Basically, all you're paying for is the supplies. Yeah. So stuff like that is really cool. Um, you can also call, you want, should I give a phone number? Yes. Give you a can phone also number. call my dear friend Urel over at uh, 719-565-6713 and tell her you'd like more information or you'd like to participate. Like, and I mean, really however people can, if they, even if it's just teach class, if they have no interest in selling their artwork, they don't have to, they just come teach. They can come participate. Um, they can come just, you know, rub elbows with some awesome, awesome people. I'm thinking about joining the co-op. You I'm serious you love to make stuff. I'd love to make stuff. I mean, I've thought about it. I'd love to do it. We should just make t-shirts. We can make, we can, they have a t-shirt printer. We, we should just go make t-shirts. That's what we do for fun anyway. Right. I got lots of t-shirt ideas. We do. We Some like of them it. are less appropriate than others. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't, we don't have to share every t-shirt. Right? So I, I, there will be a vetting process for the artists. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just anybody. Yeah. There's a little, and there is, yeah, there is. An Brian, you should that. join the co-op. This is okay. one of the things people don't know about Brian. He's actually a beautiful artist. He has his degree in art. You should join the, you need to join this co-op. Oh, I don't have enough time right now. Yeah, acts like you quit acting like we keep you busy around <laughs> right? here. Seriously, just do it. So. Once you start creating art again, we'll have a place to house there it for you, you. Perfect. There we go. All right. Well, um, when we come back in a few minutes, we'll talk about just a few other things. I, uh, my trip to Alaska was interesting for me because I was thinking the entire time about our ag community and people who produce our food and how um, there's some interesting parallels that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So we'll talk a little bit about that and I'll give a, some shout out to all my friends up there. Um, and my husband who is actually um, coming back from 10 days, uh, he's he just texted me a few minutes ago. He's on the other side of Mount Edgecombe fishing, which he does in, um, and we'll talk a little bit about fishery and a little bit about um, cattle um, and how that all goes. So. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. 
If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back. We just got finished talking with uh, Micah Espinoza, who is the new Community Engagement Director for PDI. Um, and I'd gone over there about a week ago or so. I mean, we'd, we've gone back. You've, you had toured Yeah, the, I've been there many times many over times. the years, over the past um, 10 years. Yeah, so you'd been there many times. Um, and I got to know their Executive Director, David Pump, because he is um, a Packard Fellow um, as well as I am. And we were in the same... Um, we were in the same group or we were in the same class um, for the Packard uh, Foundation Fellowships. And so I have been a big fan of, of David's for a long time and everything, because um, he came on not too long before I came on with Action 22, maybe a year or less, like yeah. six months or something. It was around there. I know, because we always worked with uh, Karen Lilly when she was there. And then after he came on, uh, it was crazy in my old job, so we didn't have really a, a chance to go down there and tour when he came on, but we did meet with him a couple times. And then, of course, coming here, um, met with him again. Yeah. Well, he's made a lot of dramatic changes um, since he's been there in the last uh, four or five years. Yeah. And and the thing, I think, with 2020 is we almost have to write that an entire year off the book for everybody. Yeah, it didn't happen. Uh, it didn't happen. Yeah, we're going to pretend it didn't happen. But um, the, it's just such a, it's such a great um, organization. We... Uh, did a stakeholder meeting with them, um, you know, right before the pandemic uh, that was just helped me even understand a little bit better about what it is that they do down there in just helping, um, you know, adults with diverse abilities just be a part of the community. And I'm just always so inspired when I go down there and walk around. And so I um, Micah told me about this event. I said, I will help with whatever you can because they're not, um, it's a co-op and it's separate, but PDI is an Action 22 member. Um, and they're, you know, they're trying to really help this, you know, them go along and do this. So there's, I think you're going to see a few more um, organizations that would, because they have a huge, they have a, actually, it's like almost a campus, but they have yeah. a lot of space there. Yes, they do. And so I love to see when Mike Riley was here and we found out we were, he was going over there. They found a new home there. I think you're going to see a, a few more of those sort of collaborations yeah. that come up. So I love it so much. So I hope everybody gets a, has a chance to go down. Or if you, even if you don't, if you just want to 
do something, you know, instead of buying a, a cup of coffee and a, a muffin, buy a ticket. Yeah. So. I, and they've had this Christmas in July in their fashion shows. I've been to them a few of them. And it's always just, I mean, it, it's a great time and it's positive. That's one thing that I really like, that it, it's truly a positive event. And there's nothing negative about it. And then it also gives a chance for uh, the, the, their, their clients um, to interact with other people in the community and the, the leaders in the community to come in and actually see what they do. Because it's one of those things that everybody knows they're there. You know, you have city council, county commissioners, whatever. Um, they know about PDI, but they don't know ex enough about them. And this is a great opportunity for our elected officials, community leaders to actually come in and interact with the clients and the staff to see what they really do. And Micah, he said it's a passion project. So it's something that they're doing out of the goodness of their heart versus making a profit, um, generating, you know, revenue or, or right. having a company. Um, th this is truly a passion project. And I think people need to see that to recognize their impact. Well, and, and it's something that they saw a need. They saw some way that they mm -hmm. could do that. And, and that's, it's a good example of um, a board of directors or a group of people that are like-minded saying, let's, let's do something more um, mm -hmm. with what we've got. So we love that. So, you know, during this last legislative session, we did so much work on the ag side of it. And I was having a conversation with somebody who's getting ready to open um, a coffee shop. And I said, um, I, I started using some words and I realized that uh, pretty quickly he goes, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. So when we talk about the ag world, we're talking about agriculture. It's the people who produce our food. Um, and so this is, I'm fascinated and I wanted to hear, you and I haven't had a, a chance to have this conversation yet. Um, it was great to get away mm -hmm. and you were pretty serious about me not working while I was gone. Yeah, you got to turn the phone off. <laughs> We're going to turn my phone off, turn the email off, do all that. And I was having, I have some control issues. So that was not an easy thing for me. Um, but it was good to get some, you know, perspective because it had been such a, um, it, there was a lot of, I don't want to say drama and I don't want to say it was tough because it, it was tough, but it was, there was a whole lot going on the session. But then when I get up there and we start to talk about um, issues around food and how we feel about the people who produce our food, or even more importantly, how we treat the people who produce our food, I wanted to visit with you a little bit about why you think we do that. Why do we have to fight so hard to sort of support and not sort of support, genuinely support the people who produce our food? Because they are invisible to the average person. Nobody thinks about where their food comes from. Um, nobody thinks about how it's made. They just go to the grocery store and buy it. Now, that's not saying our Action 22 membership is like that, because I think, you know, the rural, rural part and our members understand where our food comes from. But the, the average person, and, and to be fair, I'm going to use um, larger cities like Denver, Los Angeles, D.C., wherever, um, they walk into a grocery store, they don't care where it comes from. They don't want to care where it comes from. And you get some ideas, especially politically motivated ideas behind um, some of these people, like everything from environmentalism, animal rights, um, 
the pause act stuff yes. like this uh i don't think they understand they don't see that that supply chain they don't understand that it impacts so many people the average person if you, if we walk down the street and and it would have to be in pueblo or springs or denver we if we did if we walked down the street and asked somebody like hey what's the the biggest economic revenue generator in colorado or one of the business they'd probably say uh i don't know like maybe tourism but it's ag you know yeah. ag is one of the biggest and people don't realize that now if we walk down the streets of lahana or alamosa of course they're going to be like oh it's ag it's ag know? but that's 10 percent of the population whereas in denver they'd be like i don't know like i thought our food comes from some semi-truck or train or airplane from another state like oh yeah all corn comes from iowa or all potatoes come from idaho right all cattle comes from Texas. They, they don't understand how big it is. And that's hard to relate to the growers and producers when you don't see them. And they're, they're basically invisible to you. Well, and I think they're a lot like, uh, we talked about earlier in the hour, we talked a little bit about how um, these at, or nonprofits are so focused on their mission mm -hmm. and, and trying to make everything work that a lot of times you'll have a really very worthy nonprofit like PDI um, who've made some incredible changes and improvements in the way they do it. I mean, they're constantly improving to, see, to meet the needs of, of their, their um, clients. Mm -hmm. They're constantly doing more um, with less and they're always doing it. But in doing that, they don't really take an opportunity to their own horn. It's a lot like... Um, it's a lot like that for our ag producers, where it's a really big deal. It's really important. We all survive on the food oh, yeah, not, that we can get at any time. But the, the ag producers, their mission focused on producing agriculture. Right. And right now it's harder to make a profit and it, everything from shortage of water to legislation coming down that's impacting them. That's all they care about. They're laser focused on getting the next crop out, getting the cattle, right? Uh, you know, whatever it is that they do, catching the fish. Like, who knew that the fish that I buy from King Supers comes from Alaska from a guy that goes there three months out of the year to fish and risk from his life? From Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, but but they're they're mission focused. You're right. It's like the nonprofits and the ag producers. They don't have a marketing campaign. You know, the individuals, they right. don't have a marketing campaign. They don't have a press person. They don't have a social media presence. That's where companies are nonprofits or agencies or whatever you want to call it. Uh, associations come in. That's why you have the Colorado Farm Bureau. You have the potato growers or the potato legislative um, grower. I forget what their actual title is, but the potato growers or Action 22 or Club 20 right. or Pro 15. It's our job to educate the the public about hey this is where your food comes from and this is how this is going to impact it um but on the, the flip side too like today somebody asked you like oh what does action 22 do like nobody knows what we do because unless they're involved in the policy side of right. the state or ag you know i think every ag producer knows who action 22 is they definitely do um also every government official from the county city up to the, the state they know who we are but that's a small group of people but the average person i mean how many times you got to tell a friend that you haven't seen in years, like, oh, I work for Action 22. And they're like, oh, cool, what does that do? And you're like, well, it's complicated. But I've started telling him, just watch the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just... the show, the show's a, a great example of how we can get that out and educate people on this. So this was one of the things, you know, um, 
I think they, you so often hear about how, um, and I think from environmentalist groups, and I'm going to, if I piss off some environmentalist groups, I'm okay with that um, on this point. If, so we talk a lot about the people who produce our food as being violators of the environment. And, ex- and in fact, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Um, because you've got to understand that when we're talking about impact on environment, the food production, their entire lives are dependent on sustainability of a fishery or of a crop or any of those things. Their whole lives depend on that. So they are maybe some of the biggest environmentalists that there are. Uh, So this was an interesting thing that came up. And um, so I said earlier, my husband is fishing right now. He goes up and he fishes um, every year. Uh, he's a teacher, of course, and then his uh, his brother and one of his brother's best friends, his, his the best friend owns the boat, mm-hmm. um, and they've got a really um, a slick setup where they're selling directly to um, they're t- directly to the buyer instead of pitching pitching to a um, a cannery or pitching to somebody else. You're getting this really great food fresh from the buyer. We talked a little bit about this when we had Tony Haas on, mm-hmm. um, that how, that's how they're doing that with the with cattle. Um, and it is so highly regulated, this fishery, but it's all about the sustainability of the fishery. Yes. So he's fishing for kings. They have everybody who looks and they count fish. There's literally um, up in Haines, which is where we were, they have a fish gate that's called a weir and it runs across the river where they know there's a really short river and then there's a lake and all these fish go up the, up the river and they literally, they block them off for a short period of time um, so that they can count how many are going up the river. Um, and so they let this gate open. It's a little bridge. It's a little gate. It's a weir. And you go up. One of the activities up there is to go check the, check the number at the weir. So they post every day how many how many sockeye have gone through? They count so, the sockeye so that, that go through. Is that so they know what the limit is, what they can catch and take out? Exactly. So, like, they're allowed to take out, you know, any amount of fish over 125. So, if they go there and there's 150 fish, they know, okay, we can take we out can 25, take that many. 25 fish. So, okay. that's exactly it. Now, um, because of environmental changes, it has um, severely impacted because these fish are going up to swim, right? Yeah. So they're going up to, to spawn and die. That's what they do. Okay. Um, and then the little fry stay there for a little bit and then they go back into the ocean, but then they come back. That's where they're going to spawn, um, for the next generation. So depending on the fish, they might be out for three years. They might be out for a year. It's whatever, but they have to count that and regulate that. Now here's the problem. Um, it's very highly regulated because they want that fish that they want that to be sustainable and they want that fishery to be sustainable. But once you get into international waters, there's no regulations. And there's a whole lot of other countries who are fishing those waters. And so I heard time and time again, as I'm asking questions about the fishery this last year, one of the things that really helped them was, um, when Donald Trump supported them because he understood that that was that fair trade yeah. um, that he did that saved some of those fishermen um, because it happened. They started to do that. And then the pandemic hit. And for this community, they had the pandemic hit for in Haines. They didn't at the same time. So the pandemic hit. So they are all tourism and fishery there. Okay. So they lost 
they lost all of that. Um, and they're still losing out on a lot because it's one of the few communities in Southeast Alaska you can drive to. So, um, and the, and the borders are closed. So we didn't drive up there this year. We flew up. Do you um, usually drive up there? I've driven up there in the past. So when TJ, how long does that take? Uh, about 72 hours of driving time if you're not stopping. So when I met my husband, he was, we were at Adam state and we'd been dating and he said, do you want to come to Alaska? And I said, sure. And I'd never driven that far yeah, ever so in my life. Like the farthest I'd ever driven to was like Salt Lake city. Right. Yeah. So we drive out. Um, it, it blew my mind and we drove through Canada and Yukon territory and all of that, but we did that every year. So when we were, we were dating and then we got married and then we were finishing college. So as soon as our finals were done, we'd get in the car. It was 3,100 miles from my mom's door, almost exactly 3,100 miles from my mom's front door to his mom's front door. Hmm. And so we'd go out there and we did that for, for several years. So when we go, when I talk about going back to Haynes, it's a, it's my second home. Like my heart is in Haynes. So this, this whole fishery thing that goes on. So they lost that. They lost, um, the fish didn't run like they were supposed to. Okay. Um, and then in December, they had a, a tremendous landslide event. So they had a great big one. And then there were 11 landslides in this little valley. This is the Chilkat Valley. Um, and so a whole lot of displaced. It's 2,500. The communities of 2,500. Um, they're cut off from Canada at the time. They yeah. still are. So they had FEMA. They had everybody flying in and, and you know, trying to help in this middle of this pandemic, they lost two people. They lost their economic development leader who was just um, brand new and then the um, was killed in the slide. And then uh, the kindergarten teacher yeah. was killed in the slide. Um, and so I had a, I got to have um, a really great conversation with their mayor up there who went to school with my husband. And we sat down and I said, how are you getting through this? What are you doing? Are you able to leverage things? And you know, they're going to actually, I think they're going to have to, hopefully they won't have to sue the state, but they do it a little bit different up there. So a borough, because it's so spread out, it's so mm-hmm. huge, it's so rural and remote that a county, which they call, call a borough, and the city are are considered the same entity. Okay. So where our counties and our cities were getting separate, get separate funds. So the county got something automatically, and then cities that were under a certain size had to go you know, they're getting yeah. money, but it's a different process. Yeah. Um, it wasn't direct deposit. They were only getting for one. Now, here's the thing. So they're not municipalities. So they're municipalities, but the, it was they were only giving money to the boroughs and not for the boroughs and the municipalities. So and the, the ARPA funds only go to municipalities over 50,000 people. So I can't imagine. They didn't. And so all yeah. of South, there's nothing. No, even the capital is 35,000. So Juno's the state capital. And it's thirty-five thousand. So nobody got no municipalities got so any money. So no in municipalities are getting any money, and so um, they're going. They're having to fight. And there were five of these big these communities that are considered bigger communities there that are having the same problem. So that's the fight that they're in up there. So they're very similar fights. They're they're trying to manage um, what's going, but they're at they've added to it. So um, did did COVID impact them in that? There weren't restaurants open ordering fish because I, I'm guessing that they're that area, their primary um, product, I guess you would say, is fish, right? That's So they do a lot of fish, but they ship it out. Yeah. But, but did, 
Were they shipping less due to COVID? They were, they were shipping less due to COVID, but they were also, the, the real but one was tourism. the tourism. Yeah. That was the real one because we went up there last summer in the middle of the pandemic and we first got there and I mean, it was dead. Juno was dead. There were no, there were no cruise ships in. There was nobody there. That too. Um, I always forget there's the Alaska cruise ships. All the there. cruise ships are huge. The whale money up watchers, there. the oh my gosh. hunting. It must have killed the hunting. It did. It killed everything. Hunting and fishing. I mean, yeah. every single aspect of, of so with the fishery being impacted, tourism being dead, and then um, at some point the ferry system was on strike. These guys were hurting. We yeah. we could not believe it. I don't know how they I don't know how they're still on their feet. So when we were there this year, um, it was great to see some of these things open. They had taken advantage of the time to get some road projects done that they'd been trying to get done that they couldn't get done. Um, and there's, they were just, we were just starting to see people sort of slowly return. But you have people who, like, they'd invested a bunch in an RV park. They, had, we, they were finishing up an RV park. There's no, and that no. place used to be full. Because all these people would come in from Canada. Yeah. Because um, it's a long, it's a, one of the first places off of the um, Alcan Highway. Huh. Um, and so it was, it's been, I don't know how they're on their feet. And by the way, um, they have a great grocery, little grocery store. They have a couple of great little grocery stores there. They have two. Um, a gallon of milk was seven bucks. Yeah. Alaska's like island prices. Yes, it, it is absolutely up. like yeah. island prices. Um, and so... What they're doing right now is now I think that they've they're doing okay on the kings on the king salmon fishery is doing okay. They did have to further up the canal. They they did cut it off, so they weren't doing that. But when we were, they call it water hauls. When they're they drop their um, their nets mm -hmm. and then they um, then they catch nothing at all. Um, and they had several for the first couple openers. So they have you can fish from this time on Tuesday to this time on Saturday or however they do it. Um, and they, they say every single aspect of that is regulated and it is heavily regulated. They have fishing game out there and their boats are the fastest ones on the water. And if they don't yeah. see something, it's just like, like when you see Bristol Bay and they, they do the fishery thing on Bristol Bay, that's what it looks yeah. like. And so um, I just, it really just got me thinking about how we regard the people who make their lives into providing food for us on demand because you and I can go down and we can buy Alaskan caught mm -hmm. wild salmon at Sam's club and it's expensive, but it's, it's worth it. And we're, you know what I mean? All of yeah. those things we can get, we can get any kind of produce any time of year that we want. We can get all of those things. And yet how we regard I think we fail ourselves in how we regard um, the people that produce our food. Yeah, I, I think we do. Like I said, they're they're invisible to the the average American that goes into a store. I once heard a guy. Um, I knew a guy from Russia, and this was back in '98 or '99, and he kind of laughed because, and he was older. He was in his 70s at the time, and he kind of laughed and he said, you know. In Russia, we know where our food comes from because we don't have a lot of it and we have to find it. So we know where, it, and he's talking communist USSR, you know, right. post World War II. Yeah. Um, you know, standing in line for bread and stuff. And he goes, he said, America cracks me up because if your, your food supply chain went down, 
he said Americans would starve because they have no idea where their food comes from, how it gets there, where to get it. And, and I agree with that. And that just goes back to that, you know, our, where, do you, where does our food come from? Oh, it comes from the grocery store. Right. It yeah. comes pra- packaged everything. And I mean, that's great. But give some thought when you, um, when you're bad mouthing somebody's, like the food the other people consume or the producers of those that food or whatever, remember who you're talking about. Yeah. Where would you be if it wasn't for them? And on the public policy side, give some thought to um, when you're, when you're introducing legislation or like with the POSEC when you're trying to put something as a on the ballot and that failed. The Supreme Court in Colorado said it was more than one yeah. line, more than one issue, which it was. They were absolutely correct um, in their, uh, I think, absolutely correct in what they said. But um, Or when you want to vote to reintroduce wolves into Colorado. Think oh about what that's going to Oh, my gosh. Do. I can't even. I can't even. I can't even. All right. So, um, oh, thank- by the way, as we wrap this up, so we've gone how many ever episodes of this show for, gosh, seven, eight. Since September of last yeah, year. Yeah, since September. Um, the only time that a cuss word has come up on the show was the great Dana Crawford last week. She was the, <laughs> the first cuss word on our show, and I cuss a lot. I, I, I try to be so careful. And the first one that got out was it Dana Crawford. So thank you. Now thank I can say a cuss word every now and then. Ninety year old, ninety year old Dana Crawford, yeah. who's just she's just a force. Thanks, Dana, for that. So, <laughs> um, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Um, we've got a couple of ideas for next week. We'll let you know um, what we're going to do. Um, go on and find and attend that event. Is the first thing we're going to tell you. Um, the second thing is that uh, save the date for our annual meeting, which is going to be in Trinidad on. Um, October 15th and 16th um, of this year. We're super excited. It's going to be some really fun stuff. Um, If you are interested, if you're not already a member of Action 22, but would like to be a member um, and get your voice heard in a really strong and powerful way, all you have to do is email us at show at action22.org and we will get you signed up. Um, That's all for this week. Thanks, Brian, for being with us. Um, I have nothing clever to say today. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.